Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to say a very big hello and thank you to Chatting to a Friend's first sponsor, Tipsy Tea. Very exciting. You can get hold of Tipsy Tea on tipsytea.co.uk. Tipsy Tea are a range of vibrant liqueurs infused with tea, fruit and spices. There are three flavors, spiced chai, pink peppercorn and my current favorite root ginger and the way you serve them is you have a measure, you pop it in a glass which are gorgeous, they have branded glasses who knew and you add either sparkling water or boiling water and a splash of lemon and oh my word, well certainly if you're cold at this time of year, a little hot tipsy tea root ginger, mm -mm -mm, just the thing, loving it and if you use the code on checkout CTAF that's short for chatting to a friend, in case that wasn't obvious, you will get a free tipsy tea measure. Uh, you just add it to the cart, put in the code, and it will discount the cost of the measure. I can't recommend them highly enough, and I'm so grateful to them for being my first sponsor. Enjoy. Today's guest is Shasta Nelson. Now, Shasta is a friendship expert. If you are someone who has friends, wants better friendships, or wants to know how to encourage deeper and more meaningful friendships, then this is a conversation to absolutely 100% listen to. She is a leading expert on friendship. She's written three books, one called Friendships Don't Just Happen, then Friendtimacy, and the most recent, The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time. It was an amazingly fascinating conversation. We talked about how did she become a friendship expert, the generational differences between the generation before and this current one, men's friendships, loneliness, and how it can be equated to hunger or thirst and never should never be seen as a shameful thing. We talk about lack of intimacy versus lack of interaction and how do we gauge our levels of loneliness or even if we know what we are feeling is loneliness. She talks about her friendtimacy triangle and how you can measure your friendships, how you can deepen your friendships, how you can feel more seen and how you can take responsibility for your part in friendships. Lastly, we talk about friendships at work. And obviously right now during the pandemic, when we recorded this, it's tough. It's tough to maintain relationships at work because you're not at work perhaps any of the time. And it's all about how you and your company can see the benefits in keeping friendships alive and thriving, despite the fact that you're not seeing each other all the time. I promise you, this is a conversation that you need, to, that everyone should hear, because as she points out, we're not taught how to be friends. We're not taught how to maintain or help or improve our friendships. You can find Shasta on Instagram, Shasta. M. Nelson, or her website is shastanelson.com. Enjoy. Let me know what you think. And thanks for listening. Hi, Shasta. Thank you for joining me today. My privilege. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. And you're calling us all the way from crisp and gorgeous California. Yes, it's a beautiful fall day, winter day, I guess here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how wonderful. I'm really interested to know. I mean, there's 
honestly, I could probably talk to you for about a week about all the things <laughs> I read in your books. But I'm really interested to know, first of all, how on earth did you become a friendship expert? What, wh where did that come from? <laughs> Yeah, that is not something I set out to do and not something you could just, uh, especially back then, just go major in or decide was a career back in the day. But yeah, I really always, I mean, I can look backwards and see the path easier. And I just always, always loved relationships. And I actually have a train, I'm trained as a pastor, I have my master's of divinity oh. degree. And when I look back at my years pastoring, it was really that desire to create community. It was really in my world at that time, that was where I saw community happen. That was where I saw uh, people getting a sense of belonging, where they felt like there was a safety net there for them, where they could come and, and grow together, make a difference in the world together. And so really, I can look back and say, that was definitely what drove me into that career. And that's really where I got a lot of my my practice. You know, I did a lot of marriage counseling in that role, a lot of small group facilitation and bonding of people and building of community and exploring and studying what does it mean to help people feel like they belong and what does it mean to participate in community. So that was really a good space for me to do a lot of uh, engagement on the subject. And then uh, really from there, I got more and more excited about how lonely the world was collectively and recognizing that not you know, the majority of people aren't going to churches anymore to get that need met. And it really kind of took me down a different path of just saying, how do we build community? How do we help us feel more known? How do we help connect us in more meaningful ways if we don't all believe the same thing? And do we need to believe the same thing? And okay, we don't need to believe the same thing to love each other. So what does that look like? And that's been the last, you know, 15 years of my life, just really just devoted to community, honestly. And I would be say, I'd say I'm passionate about all relationships. But I do think we have given uh, an exorbitant amount of focus on parent-child relationships and romantic relationships. And it's really our friendships that make up the bulk of our life that really are the largest quantity of relationships and have the huge impact on our health and our happiness. And so I'm a big fan of all healthy relationships. But uh, 15 years ago, I was just like, why is nobody talking about the friendships? And that's where I just found myself starting to talk and starting to ask a lot of questions and explore. And it was in that space that I just really got really excited and the research started backing that up more and more. And yeah, I've just been in that space for so long now that I'm just, uh, just all about like making sure that we feel seen in this world and that, and most of us are not getting that need met right now. So, yeah. And so would you say you're a bit of a pioneer in the term friendship expert? Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm one of them for sure. I feel like back in the day when I was getting started, there were uh, very there was like maybe one or two other people that I certainly reached out to, and certainly people were studying in different ways and different research. You know, social science isn't new, but in terms of talking about it in our culture, it was really interesting because back then, and I say back then, it was like 12 years ago, but <laughs> back then in the olden days, <laughs> it was like a, a publisher would say, "Oh, we published a book on friendship five years ago." So yeah, we're not interested in another book. And those books don't sell very well, they would always mm -hmm. say. And, and a, a magazine editor would say, oh, yeah, we did a story on friendship last, you know, two, year, two years ago in May. So we've, we've, got, we've got that subject covered. And it was just like not something that people talked about. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a tab on the website of like health journals. It wasn't something that, you know, we were just, again, so focused on romantic relationships and parent-child relationships. Friendship wasn't something talked about. So that was really where... I started just saying, we need to be talking about this more. We need to care about it. And yeah, in that way, I feel like I've just been in this space kind of 
calling our attention to what I think is a really, really important part of our lives for, yeah, for a long time. And now it's so cool <laughs> to see the world kind of catching up to it. Mm. You know, I mean, now we, we just all of a sudden have a year upon us where we all are talking about loneliness and we all are talking about how important connections are and um, some of the stigmas being removed. And I kind of feel like we've accelerated the conversation and you're seeing so much more research. It's really exciting right now to see how much this uh, topic is getting conversation and attention now, but hasn't always been that way. No, and I, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I was just thinking about, you know, at that stage where you were saying you were really kind of getting into it and you're talking about, you've mentioned community and uh, belonging and all, all the things that the generation perhaps before us kind of almost took a bit more for granted because people didn't travel so far from home. People were surrounded, you know, um, women had other women at home who weren't working perhaps and you know the sort of how has friendship changed between the generations that that suddenly or maybe not suddenly but it is more prevalent now that excluding this weird covid year that people yeah. don't have this feeling of community as much anymore yeah it has really been interesting and and there's a lot of really great studies and conversations. Certainly technology gets brought up frequently mm -hmm. as having a huge impact on our relationships. Another really big one is our mobility. We are moving way more frequently. So it's more likely that we are not living where we grew up or where we're, mm -hmm. we're not living, um, you know, in a place long enough to like kind of keep enjoying those relationships. And so every time we move, we're starting over to some degree. Uh, another really big dynamic that's being talked about is we have more and more people who are, um, the term I've heard that I really like is like kin, kinless, like not having family. Like there's a lot more mm. people that have smaller families that have nuclear families that don't live near family, aren't talking to their family or an only child. Um, so we have smaller and smaller little families. So we don't have this big network of community and family as much anymore. Um, there's a lot of different factors that are definitely contributing. And then you were naming some about uh, different gender roles and going to work and expectations. Um, so it has been interesting. I think we did a lot more socializing back, you know, a generation back. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I think is really that we're doing better now uh, as, a, as a culture, as a world is I think we're bringing more of the vulnerability piece to our relationships, mm -hmm. which is really beautiful. So we might not have the same length of time to you know, go hang out with the other women on the street or something. But what we are doing when we are building relationships is we're seeing a lot more authenticity. We're seeing a lot of depth. We're seeing a lot of meaningfulness for men's friendships, especially. Mm. I love the trend that we're seeing um, as men are being encouraged and reminded that they too are human and have human emotions and needs <laughs> and vulnerabilities, a part of that for them as well. As we give cultural permission for men to be vulnerable, we're starting to see men's friendships with each other go deeper than just an activity or just work together. Mm. And so, yeah, I think it's there's always shifts, of course. And I would love to believe that we have probably lost some things like in a sense of just more abundant time, maybe that's probably been one of the biggest complaints is that people just don't feel like they have the time to build deep relationships. Um, but one of the things we're also doing is we have so much more self-awareness, so much more recognition that we're all unique and different and valuing diversity mm -hmm. and hopefully feeling like we don't have to conform and be just like our next door neighbor in order to be friends. And hopefully we're showing up a little bit more of who we are and accepting each other more, which is a really beautiful part of what I'm seeing shift. That's lovely. I like to hear the positive part of that, you know, that we're doing more of more good stuff because, you know, there, 
we often uh, this sort of generation and, and especially with social media people get uh there's this sort of oh she's oversharing you know <laughs> that and I know you talk about that a lot in your sort of um the the vulnerability part or uh, the sort of openness of people's relationships but you know it's good I think you're so right you know often you see things on social media with people who are appear to have it all and it, they're just fabulous and they're beautiful and they're famous and, and then they'll tell you something very vulnerable and very real and you think oh she is just a woman just like mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons I started this podcast because mm. I've talked to some extraordinary women and yet all of them have had things that they go yeah <laughs> yeah so this thing is not so good yeah. And that's just what you're, and that's what connects us to your point. Mm. Like that's so, yeah, I was saying to my husband the other day, I love watching interviews with, you know, kind of famous people and you have a certain picture of certain people and you think, oh, she's so fake. Or I don't know, you create some judgment. Like, I don't even know mm. what she does, but you just kind of have this like, oh, I'm not going to be interested in this interview or something like that. And then as soon as, and I was just, yeah, as soon as you're listening, I was telling my husband, I said, I have yet honestly to ever listen to an interview where somebody's showing up and actually answering questions where I don't love that person more after having listened to them. Like very rarely, like when I see the humanity of somebody, it just makes me feel closer to them. And I, all of a sudden I'm cheering for them and they may not do the music I listen to, or I may not be like, you know, they're raging fan, but really there's something so beautiful, isn't it about, uh, about seeing each other. And I just feel like when we see each other, we, it's, we're just more inclined to love each other and relate to each other and see you just kind of feel that sense of connection which is so so human is what we're so hungry for exactly and you mentioned that before and that's one of your your sort of big um themes is that this loneliness or lack of community and lack of belonging is so hard for people so there's they've got what you call these sort of gaps can you talk us a little to talk to me a little bit more about that Yeah. So one of the things that I feel is really important about loneliness, and I might just have to back up here and just remind all of us that the definition of loneliness is uh, subjective. And it's each one of us recognizing when we feel like we have more capacity to love in our lives and when we want to give and receive more more affection and love uh, to other people. And so it's a really beautiful thing. Uh, we equate it in a category to like hunger. It's not bad to be hungry or thirsty or tired. There's no shame. You don't have to, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you or that you're not a good person. It's just one of those things that it's your body sending you a message that you have this capacity for more love in your life, that you're hungry for more connection. And so what we really want to do as human beings is not feel shame when we feel that loneliness or, or not even admit that it's loneliness and call it boredom or, you know, call it hunger or something else where we Mm. go eat or we go just keep ourselves busy. Uh, What we really want to do, emotional intelligence would invite us to recognize that loneliness more, more frequently, more easily, because it's a very common emotion just as hunger. And there's no damage or danger in being hungry. The damage comes if we can't get that need met, if we don't have access to food, if we don't eat food. And so similarly, there's no, there's no damage or danger in being lonely. It's if we don't know how to get that need met, or if we don't admit that that's the feeling and we call it Mm. something else, then we're less likely to get that need met. And this is where it's really important for us to remember loneliness for many of us. uh, It's not for lack of interaction. Uh, There are people who are lonely for lack of interaction. You know, we think of kind of the, the elderly population, for example, or shut-ins or Mm. people who aren't getting enough. They're just not having the access to conversation and people. 
But I have found that the most, the biggest majority of us, uh, our loneliness does not come from lack of interaction. It comes from lack of intimacy. And um, which means that we can be busy all day. We can be talking to people all day. We can, especially before we were all kind of locked down in our own little houses, we could be around people all day. We could be tired of people. We could have so much interaction with people and be tired of people and still be lonely, which is one of the ironies. And so when we talk about the intimacy gap, it's really the question of, um, it's not, you don't need to defend that feeling and say, well, I have four friends, so I can't be lonely, or I have so-and-so, I can't be lonely. Mm. The bigger question is, I just kind of say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, if 10 were the most fulfilling, the most loving, the most supportive relationships in your life, uh, and one is you just have nothing. You just want, you just are feeling completely starving for that. You know, 10 is you just feel so satisfied and so full. Where would you place yourself today in this moment? And um, it's really important for each of us to kind of just take that assessment often and to say, okay, I would give myself a six and then say, okay, why is that? And what am I hungry for? And what would raise that number for me? What would leave me feeling more fulfilled? And maybe it's, maybe that's where we start getting information that says, hmm. Oh, every time I talk to so-and-so, I actually really enjoy it and feel more loved and more connected, but we only talk every couple of months, you know? And so, okay, that's good information for me. Or maybe like I have these great friends locally, but I feel like I've just lost touch with a group of people that knew me back when, or I don't know, but there was like, that's where we start getting the information of like, what am I hungry for? And mm. that's where we can start getting really powerful information for our, you know, for our, then we can do something about it. So that was kind of a long answer, but I think it's really important that we kind of take away the shame of loneliness and realize that that's your body working. It's healthy, it's normal, and the healthiest among us will be the quickest at identifying that and accepting it and saying, interesting, okay, what am I hungry for? Who would I like to talk with? What kind of conversation do I want to have? What part of my life is wanting to be witnessed more? And that's where we can start getting really powerful with it. Yeah, that's really interesting because when you were saying about, you know, recognizing that we're lonely despite you know being surrounded by people all the time in normal life obviously mm -hmm. <laughs> um <laughs> because sometimes we don't recognize that so actually asking the questions is really important because just as sometimes we don't recognize we're thirsty so we actually eat something yeah you know how what other questions can we ask ourselves that because you know it, it is as you say, can feel shameful to say I'm lonely. Mm -hmm. How else can you recognize? Because you might not even recognize that that's what it is. Yeah, it's a very great question. Because like to your point, a lot of these, you know, people, researchers say that many of us don't even realize how tired we are, how thirsty we are, because we're just, this is just our normal. We're used to being dehydrated or lack of sleep. Mm. So yeah, it is really hard to identify then if we don't actually know what it feels like to feel a life of tons of love and support. It can be hard to identify that and to name that. I often, I find that for a lot of us, our loneliness comes from um, wanting our lives, certain parts of us to feel more seen is the word I use, but more known, more witnessed, uh, more like, and really what it comes down to is we want to feel more acceptance. Uh, we mm -hmm. all want to feel, I think at the end of the day, that's what every single one of us wants is just more acceptance and love. Um, but to do, to feel that we have to feel known. Otherwise, if people just are like, I accept you. And you're like, I, you don't even know anything about me. <laughs> that doesn't have the feeling, you know, or somebody's like, I love you. And, and a lot of stars get that, you know, like they adore us, but they're like deep inside. They're like, they don't even know me. They just know what I do for them. And so I think it can feel very emptying if we don't feel seen and then accepted. And I think, so one of the questions I often ask myself, like when I wonder if I'm feeling lonely is, is there like a part of my life that 
I wish I felt more supported in? Um, is there something that I'm like processing in my head, but I haven't said out loud to to somebody or to the right people or to find other people to have this deeper conversation with me about this this thing in my, I mean, like me in me? And so maybe I've just gone through a really hard experience of of you know some kind of a, a it could be a divorce or a death or a loss or some kind of transformation. And I wish I could talk about this with other people and, and find resonance with them. And so it can kind of come up in different ways in our lives. And I think it's just really beautiful to stop and to kind of take an assessment. Um, all the books I've written have different types of assessments in them um, to help kind of identify, you know, which, which type of loneliness am I feeling right now? Is it loneliness for uh, you know, for wanting to have somebody to do an activity with, or is it loneliness for wanting to really have this part of my life seen, or is it that maybe I have two really, really close friends and they're seeing my life, but maybe I feel like there's, uh, I don't have this network out there that if I wanted to go look for a job or try something new. Um, so maybe there's a little bit of boredom, or maybe we just feel an expansive hunger for something diverse in our lives. And so it will look different on all of us. And I think it's the better we can get at, um, being curious around that loneliness. And, and I think that's, I think that's one of the things I love about this year is that before this year, I felt like there was just so much shame around loneliness that we often would feel like we couldn't even stop and sit with it or be curious about it and mm -hmm. ask a lot of reflective questions. And something about this year has helped normalize like, yes, we, yes, we collectively <laughs> feel lonely and that's okay to name it and to say it. And mm -hmm. we feel a little bit less shame around it. And uh, hopefully can be more curious around that and to say, as we come out of lockdown, as we create a new life, you know, maybe I don't need to be as busy as I was. Uh, mm. Maybe I don't need to, maybe just having thousands of friends on social media wasn't filling my loneliness. It was just kind of creating an ego feeling, but really I would rather have a few closer friends. And so mm -hmm. it starts kind of giving us this chance to evaluate the difference between a social life versus really feeling seen and feeling supported. And I think most of us will gravitate to wanting to have more meaningful relationships with fewer people. And uh, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see if, but that's, that comes from a place of reflection and curiosity. So it was a great question. Just sit there and say, what are the questions we can be asking ourselves to, to better understand where we might, where we might want to invest our relational energy going forward? Mm -hmm. I, it, that struck a chord with me because when I was 23, which is a little while ago now, shall we say, um, <laughs> I went traveling by myself for a year and a half. It was all I wanted to do when I left university and I just took off and I went to the States and then I went off down around to New Zealand, Australia and so on. And I had a brilliant time. I loved it. I was fulfilling all the sort of, you know, the traveling bug and seeing mm -hmm. things and meeting people and, you know, experiencing all sorts of good stuff. And back in the day, there was no email, there was no um, mobiles or anything like that. And so I was fairly accepting that I would miss family and friends at home. But I, did, I remember just feeling this nagging feeling while I was away that I couldn't quite put my finger on. I was young as well. So you don't always necessarily sure, think about yeah. these things. But I realized in, I think maybe, maybe halfway through that what I was missing was somebody who knew me, mm -hmm. somebody who knew that when I am nervous, I talk too much and too loudly or mm -hmm. that, you know, just those sort of little things that make you go, oh, I feel safe about talking too loudly and too much. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that right. must be such an important thing. You know, it's kind of that, just that, as you say, being seen and being heard. And I was mm -hmm. talking to, um, 
skipper of round the world yachts the other day um it was one of my interview guests and she said that that was one of the biggest things that she takes away from when she is crewing people around the world she's skippering people around the world is that in order to make for a good team and a good relationships with on the boat they need to be seen and heard mm. and fully understood good good awareness yeah yeah and I think that's so important I think that that's what we all really hunger for somebody who knows us and gets us and loves us you know and so that will come in different forms and it will not every friendship's going to last forever and not uh you know and there's a rotation there and there's different ways and so yeah you could have one crew on your boat so to speak with what she's doing and and experience that and that doesn't mean that she can't go experience that on a different boat with a different crew i think it's just really powerful that each of us identify and know that that's what we're hungry for like when mm-hmm. i first got into this work this was so interesting is that mm-hmm. people felt like when they were lonely they needed to go make new friends and i just heard yeah. that so often And it was like, if they were lonely, they just looked around and they said, well, I must not have met the right person yet. And they just Mm. felt like they had to meet the right person. And that's been one of the biggest things I've been like speaking to is just like, it has less to do with needing to meet the right person and has more to do with needing to know how to make the right friendship with the people that you already know. Mm -hmm. Like most of us just need to know how to go deeper with people and to be more seen and to build more positive relationships and to have more, to have safer relationships. Like most of us haven't been taught how to build more meaningful friendships. And so when we're lonely, we just think we need to keep going out and meeting people. And the meeting people, while can be fun, that's usually not the most fulfilling part of a relationship. It's the deeper part when we actually feel like we've known each other for a while that's more fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And so you can see why if we change jobs or we move frequently or we're just kind of on the go uh, traveling or being really busy, it's hard to go deep enough with the same people to get to that place that's really meaningful. And we can end up just having a lot of uh, acquaintances and a lot of people we know and still not feel known. And so I think that's so powerful that she was able to identify that and you can help facilitate that on a boat. You can facilitate that in a workplace. You can facilitate that in your home. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can facilitate that with your friendships on your Zoom calls. You know, I mean, (laughs) once you kind of start knowing what it is that you can actually, what you're aiming for, you can actually choose to, to make those relationships more meaningful around you. Because you have your friendimacy triangle, which cu- yes. touches on all of those things. Talk us through that, because I, lo- I love this whole theory that, that it all comes back to these three things. But talk me through that. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great place for that. It's, uh, so the friendimacy triangle was developed out of a sense of when I look at all the social research being done around the world, what builds, what makes for trust, what makes me feel closer to one person than another, why do we call this person our best friend, what, you know, when we're studying what friendship is, uh, they, we all are studying different things, we're using different words, and a couple of years ago for my book, Friendimacy, I was uh, looking and saying, what are we all talking about here? Like, what's the common denominator? And that's where I found that when I was looking at every single study, I was like, there are always these three things present and we use different words for them, but these three things are the non-negotiables of a healthy relationship. So I just call them the three relationship requirements and I make a triangle out of it. And so you've got the three sides of the triangle. The bottom of the triangle is positive emotions, positivity. So at the end of the day, whenever we feel lonely, it's never because we want more guilt or more (laughs) obligation or more (laughs) frustration or more like, you know, blame. When we want more friendship, it's always, we want more laughter. We want more acceptance. We want more resonance and more empathy and more validation and more hugs and love and fun and enjoyment and acceptance and all those positive emotions. And so that's the foundation of our relationships. Every relationship, we need to have more positive 
five more positive emotions, actually the negative emotions for that relationship to stay Mm -hmm. healthy. And then the two sides of the triangle that build up, hopefully similar uh, similar speed, and hopefully we build those up together. Um, is one side is consistency, which is our consistent interaction, our shared experiences, our it's our the logging of our hours, it's our willingness to be together, it's the pattern that we develop. So it's a consistency that makes this friendship feel safe. Like we know that we can rely on them. We know that we. Uh, that we that we text once a week or that we call every day or that we get together and go walking and like we have a pattern that leaves us feeling like this friend is available and is willing and is there and so that's how we get to know each other that's the time we're spending together and then the other side of the triangle the third side is vulnerability so vulnerability is us what we've been talking about is wanting to be seen and to sharing sharing of our lives and our stories and what we're thinking about and what we're struggling with and what we're proud of and this is where we feel seen and more known and so as we spend consistent time with each other on one side of the triangle so too is that's when we get to know each other better. And those two things incrementally grow up toward the top of the triangle. The very top of the triangle are the closest of our friendships, the people we've practiced the most consistency, the most vulnerability, and the most expressed positive positivity with each other. And so we all have about 150 relationships, give or take, on this triangle. And I'm finding that most of us, uh, when we're lonely, it's we're lonely for the top of the triangle. And that may not be the case for everybody listening, um, but for many of us, it's like we've built, we have a whole bunch of relationships at the bottom of the triangle on the wide part of the triangle, people we work with and we see at our religious communities or that we, our kids go to schools together or whatever. We have a whole bunch of people that we know, but our consistency isn't super strong or our, um, our vulnerability is not as deep as it could be, or we aren't as comfortable practicing positivity yet with each other. And so one of the things we can do is say, who on this triangle would I like to be closer to? Who are some of the names of the people that I do find myself enjoying and that I do want as I lean in and I'm curious about? And those are the people that I can then kind of move up the triangle, so to speak. But these are the mm. three things that we can, um, I can guarantee everybody listening <laughs> but you have never built a meaningful relationship without having practiced these three things in that relationship. And conversely, if there's any relationship in your life right now that's not feeling as fulfilling as you want it to, it's usually because at least one of these three things is lagging behind. And mm. if you stopped and did that reflection we were talking about, you would probably be able to say, oh yeah, my friendship was so-and-so. We have consistency and vulnerability, but it doesn't always leave me feeling good. And the positivity is missing. It's just as heavy or I feel always kind of worse about myself when I'm you know, done interacting with her. And you're like, okay, that's a problem. Uh, other relationships, we might say, yeah, I see them all the time at work or at the kid's school. We have consistency and it's fun. We always laugh and say kind and nice things to each other. It's got positive emotion, but I don't really feel like I get to know them. I don't feel like we go deep mm-hmm. enough. I don't feel like she's ever opens up or I don't feel safe opening up. And so I'll be lacking that vulnerability. So you can pretty much go down through all your relationships and hopefully do a somewhat rather quick, I do it super fast in my head now, but hopefully just kind of trying it on and going through those three things and saying, which one would make the biggest difference to, you know, me feeling closer to that person. I love that because it just sort of, it works as you say, with every thing, I'm not feeling this. So I, I, sorry, I'm not expressing myself very well. I just, I think it's so neat and succinct. I was a few questions. Well, there's about a thousand questions, obviously, that come <laughs> out of that. But um, how do we take responsibility for ourselves? Because you quite often hear, oh, my friend, this. I read a lot about this in one, in your book, um, Friendtimacy, but it's all the sort of um, the negative 
things that you, you feel defensive or you're, you fear rejection, jealousy, and, and this whole horrible thing I see all the time on social media, dump your toxic friend. Mm. You know, I've even before I read your book, I was sort of thinking, yeah, you surely have to take some responsibility mm-hmm. yourself. So mm-hmm. what are the sort of things that we can do to, you know, you've mentioned them before, spend more time or, or, or whatever, but to sort of take responsibility for your end of the friendship. For sure. And I love that you, it says a lot about you that you would ask this question that uh, <laughs> speaks of a hot, of a very mature person. Um, yeah, it's, I'm a very, like, now that we know what three things build a healthy relationship, I think, A, we need to be compassionate with ourselves and to say, okay, I didn't know this before. And now I can actually start doing some assessment. And now I just used to always get mad at them for not inviting me out or not initiating. But now I know that it doesn't actually, a requirement of friendship isn't that initiation is 50-50. A requirement of friendship is that we spend time together. And so what if I look at this differently and say, okay, what if I am the one who initiates a lot of our consistency? Is that okay with me? If at the end of the day, we are bonding, we are spending time together, we're having fun together, and we're getting to know each other, and we're practicing positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. At the end of the day, if I'm building a better friendship for me, I win. (laughs) Like It's okay if they're not, if it's not 50-50, if they're more shy, or they get busy, or they get distracted. If I feel like they say yes, and want to participate, and we're doing it, then like, so once we now know, we can kind of look and say, oh, this thing I held as a as an expectation doesn't necessarily bear out that that has to be that way. That's not a rule for our friendship to make it. And so it allows compassion for ourselves. It really hopefully gives us a lot of compassion for others. They don't know these, these things yet. Mm. None of us were taught this. And so it gives us a chance to say any relationship that's not fulfilling, we have a chance to repair it. Now we can look at it and say, I don't feel like I, I don't feel she ever opens up with me. And now instead of just being mad and saying, she's not, she's like, not never opens up. She's so fake. She's always like guarded. I can say, okay, well, I know that vulnerability, mutual vulnerability is a part of relationship. So what could I do to next time we get together to help invite a little bit more vulnerability? And so it gives us an opportunity. It's not because it's our fault that that was happening, but now it's us getting the chance to do something more intentional, which is a really beautiful thing. So now we can say, okay, what if next time we get together, we say, hey, during lunch, I would love to hear like one thing that you're really feeling good about in your life, like something you're proud of, something you want to share with me that you're excited about. And one thing that you feel like is kind of a stressor lately, like let's each do a highlight and a low light and just make Mm. sure that we each get a chance to share what we each want to share, what's most important to each of us. And they... I, you know, does it feel a little awkward to kind of come with a question? It doesn't to me anymore, but I can appreciate that it's, for some it does. For mm-hmm. me, I tell you, I've been doing this for so long and my friends love it. And I've everyone, I mean, people want to be seen. They just don't, it just, it's just, we don't, we're not super practiced at it. So I say, give it a try. Uh, 99% of the time, your friend is going to get to open up and share what they want to share. And you're going to practice going deeper. So it doesn't have to become this big thing like, Like they're a bad person because they're not opening up. It's like, let's just Mm. give them the opportunity to open up. Let's start, let's, now that we know the three things, what can we do to invite more positive emotion? What can we do that would make us have more fun together? What could we do to invoke more gratitude in our relationship? You know, what can I do to, uh, to create more consistency? Maybe I should suggest to my friends, like, maybe we should uh, turn this into like a weekly thing so that every Wednesday at noon, we know that we're like calling each other. And then we don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about 
who's calling who and who initiated <laughs> last time. It's just scheduled, you know? And so mm. there's always solutions. Now that we know these three things, we can brainstorm solutions. And I think what you were saying at the beginning is just so, so important. And that is if we sit here and expect from our friends and kind of, it's very easy to create a story or a narrative that our friends should be doing more. Our friends mm. aren't doing the right thing. Our friends are selfish. And if really we just step back and say, our friends probably love us and they're probably doing the best they can with what they know. And so have we been. And yet now we know better and now we know more. And so we can be a little bit more intentional. And at the end of the day, our goal, you're so much better off like you've already logged so many hours and you've already built half of a good friendship. You're so mm-hmm. much better off like repairing that friendship or deepening it than going and just starting mm-hmm. over every time somebody disappoints you. Um, you're just Otherwise, you just end up always having a bunch of shallow relationships. And mm-hmm. uh, one of our lonelinesses comes from not going deep enough, long enough with some people. And so I don't, I don't want to say you should never break up with anybody because it's mm. appropriate and fine to not have every friendship last forever. And on the flip side, if you find that you're pulling away every time somebody disappoints you, I can guarantee you, you're going to be lonely forever because everybody's going to disappoint mm. you. And it's the relationships that we end up feeling the safest in are the ones that we went through something hard with. Like you think about mm. our, rom- our romantic relationships, we feel safest with people that we have fought with, that we have disappointed and they still loved us. The people who know the worst of us and we know the worst of them. Mm. And so at some point, if you want deep, meaningful friendships, we have to learn to let people disappoint us. We have to learn to negotiate how to do things better. We have to learn how to say, I'm sorry, I want to love you better or be able to show up and say, what would make me feel good in this is X, Y, Z. And so, yeah, these are, these are hard, but this is, this is where meaningful is on the other side of this. So it's definitely worth the practice. And yeah, that, that's a big theme in my books for sure. <laughs> yeah, I love that because I was thinking, oh, there's a few things that popped up. One, I remember, well, just the other day, I interviewed my two oldest best friends. We've just celebrated oh. 30 years of friendship. Oh. Oh. And cool. the the podcast is all about just our friendship and how we met, how we were all quite different and how, and we, at some point during two hours of drinking wine and hooting with laughter, we, <laughs> you, you know, we don't see each other all the time during the having kids years. I mean, we hardly saw each other at all. We live in three different countries, but one of the things that came up was that one of the best things about our friendship is that we've seen each other. We lived together at university. We have seen each other mm-hmm. at our absolute worst mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. our and we still are friends but I said you know the bizarre thing is that I remember the times when I was at my worst but I don't remember any of the times when they were at their worst mm-hmm. like and I just thought that was so lovely that you we could just like celebrate this huge friendship uh, but and, and as you say having feeling safe and you know really almost you know, laughing at each other with, for all those funny things that we, you know, that we consider still cringeworthy and embarrassing, <laughs> but, but they still love us. And so that really, yeah. that struck a chord with me there when you said that the, 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 the friendships or the relationships you feel safest in are the ones where yes. you feel yeah. like they've seen you absolutely on your knees and they still yes. go, yeah, I love you anyway. And I love exactly. that in one of your books, you, you give this great example of um, being with girlfriends in a coffee shop. Is this you mm-hmm. when you said, yep. and they all went around the table and they said, oh, this is my news and this is my news and nobody asked you. And yes. that has happened to me 
a lot. So I was like, oh, I was in that coffee shop. That was me. <laughs> and, the, and, you know, of course you feel mad and insulted and offended. And, and I remember coming away from my coffee shop experience thinking, why? Like, is it, you know, they're great. I love them. So what did, what is it that I do? Is it because I already talk so much about myself, for example, <laughs> that perhaps I should be asking more questions? Do you know what I mean? So there was, uh, yeah. uh, sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm now wittering, but uh, it just, no, this is fabulous. So many things. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a, that was such a great moment in my book. When I tell that story, I talk about how I drove home and just was like, I need new friends. These friends are so <laughs> selfish. They're so self-absorbed. I'm the one who brought up the sharing question and then they didn't even like, let me do a turn. And by the time I got, you know, halfway home or arrived home, I was like, Shasta, how could you have shown up differently? You know, and it was like mm. so easy to kind of put on that pouty face and just be like, they should have asked me and, and to realize, <laughs> you know what, nobody there purposely was like, Oh, I hope Shasta doesn't get a chance to share. Like nobody, <laughs> when you really stop and think about it, like our friends are not maliciously trying to hurt us. If I could step mm. away and say, they actually, if I had said, Oh wait, I haven't gotten a chance to share mine yet. Every single one of them would have been like, Oh my gosh, of course. Yes. What about for you? What's your, what's your news? Like <laughs> exactly. they would have been so happy. And that's the difference is like, okay, how could I have shown up differently rather than be put it on them to ask the right question at the right yeah. time. It's my responsibility to say, I want to be seen in this relationship. So I need to show up. Now it's a whole nother thing. If I actually shared and they were all like, we don't want you to share. You're not supposed <laughs> to share. We don't care. Like, okay, that's a different thing. Right. But most of us are walking away being really offended at our friends and disappointed by our friends. And it's not because our friends woke up and are doing something actually where they're trying to hurt us or even know they're hurting us. And so how can we give a little bit more grace and say, let me just assume they were doing the best they could. And mm. let me just say, if, if I have a need, it's my job to show up in that. And, you know, we do it in our romantic relationships. We might not like doing it, but most of us do it. We'll eventually say, you know, I, when you do this, it makes me feel this way. Or mm. um, I feel like I need a little bit more of this in the relationship. I feel like I'm suffocating, or I feel like it's all, all, all falls on me to do X, Y, Z. Like we'll end up having these conversations in our mm. romantic relationships and we don't want to do it, but we will figure out how to state our needs. And in our friendships, I have just found, it's really heartbreaking. It's like, we just we just bear, we just don't know how to have those relations, those conversations. Yeah. We have not had it modeled to us. And so if a friend disappoints, disappoints us, if we start feeling suffocated, if we feel like we're doing all the work, we just get mad and kind of like let the relationship drift apart or break mm. up uh, rather than to say, okay, how can we fix this? How can we repair this? How can we better invest in this and protect this? And so we don't have to fix everything, but I'm a really big fan of at least trying. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's one research study that shows that a best friend takes 200 hours hours to develop and 200, you know, the consistency. Mm. Uh, and so I sit there and I think that is a huge investment that we have put into a relationship already. And maybe a friend is only a quote, 100 hour friend so far or something like that. <laughs> but wouldn't I be better off putting in one or two awkward hours uh, with hopes that at the other side of it, we both know each other better. We feel closer. Mm. We've, we've have practiced having a tough conversation and now we can like start our 103 and 104 and keep going as opposed to going and starting all over with somebody and then keep getting to that mark and walking away. It's like, these are our investments. Let's protect them. Let's like buttress them with better, better skills. So yeah. And that's, that is only to our benefit. I think this is one of the really important things is it's so easy for us to think, well, I'm tired of being the one to do all of this in our relation, my relationships. Mm. Uh, I, 
I've asked audiences all over the world, you know, raise your hand if you're the friend who does most of the initiating or most mm. of the listening or most of the giving. And it's like 90, 95% of hands go up in every <laughs> single room. And I just kind of have to laugh because all of us keep track of what we do, but we either are all friends with the same 5% of like <laughs> leeches who are just like, you know, or we, or our friend thinks that about in our relationship. They think they're the ones doing most of it. So it's a really humbling experience to just remember like nobody's perfect. We're all going to disappoint each other. We're all doing the best we can. We're all giving. Uh, what can we do to just kind of affirm each other more, to uh, be more intentional, and to build something that just is more meaningful for all of us? Yeah, that's a very good point, because I was actually just about to say, is there a chance when you're feeling like that, that the other person is feeling Every exactly time. the same? Every time. Yeah, all and the how, time. And, and, you know, it's so, especially nowadays, because you know, first of all, we're in this crazy year. And second of all, I mean, I'm at an age now where my kids are growing up and I'm heading for the dreaded middle age or no, I'm smack bang in the middle of it. Let's be clear. Let's <laughs> just get honest, shall we? <laughs> and, you know, we're dealing with growing up children, aging parents, illness, you know, mortgages and work. And, and you know, so mm. everybody has got so mm-hmm. much going on that there's, you know, I want a very wise person once said to me when I was in my mid-20s and having some sort of existential crisis you know as you do in your mid-20s and she said just remember that not everything is about you and I was very taken aback at the time but what she (laughs) meant was that the person that you're dealing with has got like like zero like such a small percentage of that their day is taken up with what you said or may have not have said right you know they've got their own stuff going on so as you say it's just about it's about kindness and kindness to yourself as well as anything else but kindness to the other person and feeling uh, empathy and 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 thinking what's going on in their life as well I've I've found over the years um I wanted to just work on uh, uh, move on to your newest uh, iteration, your newest book, which is the business of friendship. Now, when we first got in touch, what near to beginning the beginning of the year, you had written it and you were publishing in August, and you must have written it before the world went into meltdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, so, first yes. of all, tell me a little bit about the book, and then tell me how it has, how you've perhaps had to change or adapt what you wrote to, to how how we are all living and working these days. Yeah, it's uh so the title of the book is The Business of Friendship Making the Most of Our Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time. <laughs> mm. And uh yeah, and it was really built on the premise of of two things coming together. One is that most of us uh feel before before this year, most of us feel too busy to really build and maintain the friendships that we really want. When when most of us answer the questions around our relationships, we feel like we're barely putting in enough time with our spouse and our kids. And so our friendships just kind of take a back a back seat. And um and really work is to adults what school is to kids. It is the one place in our life where we have this consistency. And that's why work is the number one place that we make friends as adults. It's the place where consistency is already automatic for us. We don't have to invite each other. We don't have to schedule time together. We don't have to pick a location. We just are paid to show up in the similar space and place uh, to, to do work, to do a project together. And so work is the best place for making friends. And the other fact, so I really wanted to write to that and name that and 
normalize that because a lot of us have a lot of mixed feelings about whether we should be friends with people mm. we work with. If we're saying no, it'd be like being a kid and saying, you can make friends, but don't pick, don't do it with anybody at school because it will interfere with your school work, you know? And so, I mean, we would never do that. And yet that's exactly what we do as, uh, as adults at work, which is so crazy because it's the one place that we actually are meeting people on and seeing them on a regular basis. And then once that consistency is in place, as long as we enjoy each other, feel accepted by each other, have those positive emotions and feel like we get to know each other, that vulnerability, then those are the people we are going to bond with. The second reason I want to write the book is because it's to the workplace's advantage if we have those friends at work. Mm. It's not just for our own advantage. Uh, the numbers around retention, around um, mental health in the workplace. If you look at in- engagement, we are seven times more likely to be engaged in our work if we feel like we have a best friend at work, which means we have better customer service. We call in sick less frequently. We're more committed to brainstorming and to really having the success of a project. We want to cover each other's uh, failures and kind of show up for each other. So it's really to a company's benefit uh, that uh, we enjoy the people we work work with and that we would call them our friends. And so I feel like a lot of that was just kind of not getting noticed. And so the book was really about how it will benefit um, our employers and our employees if we fostered and talked about it more and were more intentional about building friends in the workplace. And of course, it is so ironic that right as the book is coming out, <laughs> all of our workplaces become our home. And we're just like, oh, my goodness, like I'd give anything to go into work. And I mean, a lot of us are enjoying the working from home, too, mm. which is fabulous. Um, and I think it opens up a really great conversation. So I think what's been nice is, well, I'll just say this, that those three requirements of relationship, positivity, vulnerability, and consistency are the same, whether we're in our work lives or in our personal lives. They're the same, whether we're in person at an office or if we're working remotely with each other, those three things still have to be present. So it's still really powerful for us, even if we're working remotely to say, how are we practicing consistency? Um, and how are we making sure that when we are interacting with each other, that it feels good and leaves us feeling positive? And what are we doing to make sure we both and that we all really feel known and have that time to really feel seen. And so those same three things have to be present. And the the research doesn't change. We still, if you want to stay in a, if you want to retain an employee, you still, whether they're working from home or not, you still want them to feel like they're a part of a team. They want to feel like they belong to your organization. And there's no way they're going to feel like they belong better than if they feel like they belong to the people of your organization. And so we still really need to be developing those connections. And so my work work in many ways has increased during this time as companies are saying, how do we keep our people feeling connected? How do we, you know, I have a keynote and a program that I do that's called um, Apart But Not Alone. You know, how do we maintain that feeling Mm. of still being friends with each other when we don't have this shared space, this quote, water cooler, uh, where we're all sitting in a meeting together, walking mm. by each other's desks. And so in some ways, it's created more need and has kind of accelerated the companies realizing how important this is. I think I would have had a little bit more of an uphill battle, uh, quite frankly, trying to convince employers that they need friends in the workplace. But now suddenly, it's very obvious to employers yeah. that if they don't keep their people feeling connected, they're going to be in trouble. And so in some ways, it's accelerated the need. Um, the downside is as, as the need has become clearer, um, you know, I can do a lot with technology and I am doing a lot of teams and a lot of different, really beautiful things. And it just breaks my heart because I would love to be in there gathering us up together (laughs) and putting us all in similar rooms and, and doing some of that. And so 
it is a little ironic to me that um, you know how much of it we have to do online now, and yet that still is powerful, and we still uh, we still can practice those three requirements. So it's been really interesting, and I'll be super. I'm really watching the conversation going forward mm. of how do we build a future forward that feels good that even as us as individuals, I know a lot of people are like, Oh, it's just so much easier to work from home. I never want to go back. And that's an interesting question. And maybe that can work for you. Uh, this question still remains, how can I get my social needs met? How can I make sure that I feel connected? And maybe, maybe convenience shouldn't be the number one reigning value for my choice. Maybe, maybe I should be having connection be a meaningful consideration. And if I am going to work from home, how, what am I going to do to maintain connection? And so uh, we really do have to still have these big conversations of how do we, how do we keep building relationships going forward? And maybe, maybe there's big transitions still coming. um, But I think we can all kind of contribute to that conversation by thinking about it for our own lives of what we feel what's the right mix for each one of us. Yeah, it's interesting because I was just, as you were talking there, thinking about some of the strongest work friendships and some of the best times I ever had were, you know, it was work. I was in event management for 10 years. And mm. so it's long, 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 long hours and, you know, not terribly well paid. And so you're really, <laughs> if you're not happy, it's... Yeah thoroughly miserable because you're not earning that much money and you're not and some of the best friendships that I I still have to this day who are at my wedding who are you know I don't perhaps the consistency isn't there but the, the you know there's enough history and um has been so much vulnerability in the past where we've just been on our knees with tiredness that I feel so strongly about those people and I know that anytime there's you know a big birthday we're all invited mm. you know and it's it's like we've never been apart and it's just mm. a, a lovely thing mm. and then I went from that to moving cities and becoming a stay-at-home mum and mm. that mm. I have to say was probably one of the loneliest times of my life yeah. because yeah. suddenly I went from this you know I mean I'm talking 50 60 hour weeks just mm. crazy and 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 partying together and everything to being at home on my own so that resonates and it's slightly different to what you're saying because obviously mine was a almost complete cut off but yep. that different that sort of huge loss of there's the motivation as you say and the fun and the kind of just you know you're having a crappy day but someone tells you a funny story when you're making a cup of yeah. coffee yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my yeah. God, did you hear what happened last night? You know, all that kind of stuff that yeah. m- missing. So I love to hear how that's working. And I, I understand it's a work in progress. It's still so new. But mm-hmm. what are people doing, bosses? I heard, I think I heard you in, 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 a, in a podcast saying that, you, you know, you'd be encouraging leaders and bosses to put people into breakout rooms and their Zoom meetings to, you know, have sort of little icebreakery who's doing what, what's happening with other people, you know, everyone at home type sessions. What what are people doing? Yeah. Well, the, yeah, because the consistency piece, I feel like managers and companies have figured out, right? Like, okay, we're going to have these kind of weekly meetings. We're going to do these one-on-ones like, and everyone's on zoom and maybe probably too much. And it's just like, everyone's like figured out the new, the new channels and the new way we're connecting and communicating. What's lacking on the, on the consistency piece is the one-on-one 
people that you wouldn't reach out to on your own, but you just ran into. Mm. And so now it's becoming our friendships from work are becoming a little bit more like our friendships outside of work, which means we have to initiate the consistency now if we want those friendships to maintain. And that's like what made the work friendships so special and easy was that we didn't have to uh, create that consistency. The workplace did it for us. And now we might see them in our team meetings, but if we really want to stay connected to them, we can't have those five minute conversations before and after with ease. Mm. Uh, we no longer can walk back to our desks afterward together. And so we really have to figure out how to create our own consistency. What I will say on the positive side is that for those of us who do figure that out with our work friends, those are friends that are more likely to survive when you both don't work at the same job. Mm. Most of our friendships from work end when one of us leaves a job because we only knew how to be friends when the workplace brought us together. And we don't know how to maintain friendships when one of us leaves. And so if we can practice that now, these friendships, we're investing skills in them that will make it probable that these friendships will survive this job. If we know how to already stay in touch or text each other, uh, do phone calls, kind of connect in our own video conferencing. If we can figure out how to do that when we, you know, on our own, it's going to be, it's, we're going to feel so much closer to these people. So this is a great opportunity to practice that. And yeah, for managers, it's, I put a lot of um, opportunities out for managers. I have a whole, um, at, the business of friendship.com. I have a whole work kit for managers with videos and 35 sharing questions to talk about with your team um, and a whole bunch of different resources because managers have the opportunity to be that consistency right now uh, to help the initiation happen. You know, for new employees and new hires, my heart just goes out to them. Mm. Uh, that's really hard to reach out to people you don't know and to build a relationship remotely. Um, but if a manager would say, I'm going to schedule a one-on-one -on -one with you every week with somebody different from our organization, you know, for the first couple months so that you can just get a chance to know people, that's so much easier. Now all I have to do is show up for it as opposed mm. to schedule it myself and reach out and feel awkward. If a manager would say to everyone on the team, Hey, I'm doing optional, uh, matchups, you know, with like, every Thursday at 11, matching up with a different person for 20 minutes of conversation. I'm organizing that. If you want to opt in, let me know. Um, if they can kind of help create some of those moments, uh, hosting a little casual happy hour, and then having a question that everybody answers, let's go around at a happy hour. And each of us share one thing that we're really celebrating from this week, something we're proud of mm. that we did that we can kind of brag about for a second. That helps us be vulnerable. That helps us see each other. That helps us feel more witnessed. And then we can toast each other and celebrate. That's the positive emotion. So we can facilitate that. This doesn't, I think that's my biggest message is that we don't have to leave all of this to chance. We don't just have to have a zoom meeting and then just say, well, that was awkward. That wasn't super fulfilling. And then like, let's not do that again. We can make it <laughs> fulfilling. We can make it meaningful. We can increase the odds. And so now that we know to feel close, we need to not just be there. We have to have good feelings and be seen and share. We now know we can, we can create. And I would love if we had more time, I'd love to hear how you go back. Like even with your event planning, your best events probably had all three of these components present mm -hmm. and thought through and stuff like that. But we now know we can, we can be intentional and being intentional doesn't make it less meaningful. If anything, it increases the meaning. That is, that's actually a very interesting point because, you know, sometimes I think you've mentioned it a couple of times in this call that it can feel a bit forced. It can feel a bit sort of awkward and you're used <laughs> to it now. And I am, I have been trying over, you know, I, I don't know, I can't give you a defined period of time, but it's something that, I, you know, because I am someone who talks a lot, I have tried really hard to ask more questions. And so when when I first launched this podcast and one of my friends who I was just talking about a minute ago, the, the one of the 30 year long friendship, she wrote a thing on Facebook to share it and she said, 
I am absolutely astounded <laughs> that <laughs> Katie knows how to ask questions. And she said it in a way that I was, I just thought was hilarious. Like I wasn't offended or anything because I know her well enough to know that she loves me. And she just like, she's actually asking and she's listening. And I thought, yeah, well done me. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, I, I don't know that version of you, but I was like, it's hard to believe because you are an excellent, I, I always get off podcasts feeling kind of awkward because it always feels so one-sided and I always have to be like, well, I guess that's kind of the point to some degree, but yeah, I've always want to like ask and hear. I love it when you share and share more from your perspective too. It's fabulous. Oh, thanks. Cause I did, I, I kind of worried about that at the beginning of the podcast. And then I thought, well, no, that's the whole point of this. It's called chatting to yes, a friend. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, exactly. And so actually on yeah. that point, the original reason I wanted to start this was because I was inter- very interested in how successful people manage friendships because there's that there must be a really hard it must be very hard on the vulnerability side of things when you are that successful famous you you know that do you have much experience Mm -hmm. in that because I I sort of feel that you know a there's envy from old friends and then uncertainty Mm -hmm. of new friends how Mm -hmm. just very briefly if you've got a minute on that I'm really fascinated about that yeah, I am too. I actually have thought and, and, and interacted with that in quite a in quite a lot of ways. It's a really powerful subject because I think it can be very easy to caught up, get caught up in our brand uh, or in our reputation or our image. And at the end of the day, some of the loneliest people are some of the people who are the most successful and the most adored and who have the most people around them. Um, and I think that's a really important invitation to each of us to to um, really be thoughtful about like, okay, yeah, I have a brand or reputation and I also need to have some close friends that I am being really honest with. And Mm. so for me, I think about the friends Missy triangle and I think about people on the bottom third of that triangle who I have low consistency with and, and my vulnerability is it's okay to have it filtered and to match about a third of my vulnerability. Mm. So I can say a little bit of something in an interview, but I don't owe it to the world to be transparent and completely Mm. open with everybody. Uh, you know, but at the same time I do at the top of the triangle, it's incredibly important to me that I can look at my life and to say, um, as I'm struggling with X, Y, Z in my life, I might not share that on a podcast, but I do have these seven people in my life who I've Mm. told about it or something. And so I can hold myself accountable to saying, I am not, I am committed to showing up without a filter to these people. They have earned my trust. I have built Mm -hmm. deep friendships with them. And it's my job to keep practicing vulnerability there. And it may not come naturally to me. And I need to keep practicing that. And so for me, it's a really high commitment to make sure that um, no matter what level of success we're at, you know, if you're the CEO of a company, yeah, you may not be transparent with all your employees about everything Mm -hmm. going on. But (laughs) For your health and really for the health of everybody else, they might not know it, but you will be a healthier person if you show up leading from a place of feeling seen and connected and loved. I want my leaders, I have a whole chapter in my book on the business of friendship. Leaders, I need our, I need our leaders to feel more f- supported in friendship. I do not want lonely leaders leading mm-hmm. us. You know, I want leaders who, if it's not because you're reaching out to other peers or that you found some people outside of work, or if you found some people in work that you can say, you are somebody I'm developing a closer relationship with, and I'm going to be honest with you and, and let's do this together and let's support each other. It's really our responsibility, each one of us to say, Am I building the support system around me that um, will support my life and leave me feeling really seen and witnessed and cheered for and known and uh, and accepted? And that when that big celebrity thing or that big adoration goes away, 
Uh, will I crumble or will I be able to say, oh, I have some people who know me no matter what, who the ups and the downs, no matter what the press is saying, no matter what, how my mo last movie did, um, you know, I have these people in my life. And so I think it's really important for every single one of us um, to make sure that we are, are understanding that we don't have to be vulnerable with everybody, but mm. we do need to make sure we're being vulnerable with, the, with a few. Oh, great. Such good stuff. <laughs> um, mm. I, I've got two more questions for you. One is, what do you get asked most often? Hmm. And have I already asked it? <laughs> uh, probably, I probably get asked most often, yeah, about the Frenchmessy triangle. Mm. I think we covered that. So yeah, that was good. And I think it's important to always say because most of us just have not ever really, we just think friendship should just happen. You know, we just mm. kind of think it's like we just should be born knowing it. So it was, it's always important to cover. And lastly, um, although I could actually carry this conversation on late into the night, but I have bed to go to and you have a day to get on with in our different time <laughs> zones. Um, the, you know, I've sort of said right from the start of this thing, and we've covered it in various parts throughout this conversation, I've, and I've said it since the beginning of this pandemic, the global, the mental health ramifications of this are mm, mm, mm. massive. I and mean, I don't think mm, we all know for perhaps even a generation like how mm. massive mm -hmm. this w is or or was mm -hmm. and there's so much in your book about uh, you know I love the the fact that y y there's all these you know people who live in communities who have friends who have big family units and so on are so much healthier and happier and uh, what is, is sort of being lonely is worse for you in general overall than smoking that sort of thing and mm -hmm. I I love mm -hmm. that the, that you are you appear to be leading the way and that we are opening up this amazing I think the vulnerability part is 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 so so important I'm sort of circling right back to the beginning and what I'm trying to get to is what are your sort of final words on how to stay healthy how to keep your mental health well within this sphere yeah, I, if I were to kind of just say for all of us, we're, you know, we're nine months in, uh, we have, you know, yeah, you're right. It's going to be a long, it's going to have a long tail to it. It's not mm. just getting the vaccinations. There's a lot of relationships that we have let kind of just sit dormant and yeah, we're all having to do a little bit of reflection. I think if I were to say anything kind of right now, it would be stop and use this conversation as an opportunity to just to reflect on your life. Uh, you know, pull, pull out a post-it note, a piece of paper, and who are the people that at the end of this pandemic, you want to say you're closer to, you know, mm -hmm. who are the people and just write down a couple of names. It doesn't have to be this huge, overwhelming project, but just think of a couple people that you would say, if I were closer to these five people at the end of this, I would feel like that was a success. You know, I would feel like I was supported. I would feel like I, I came through this and, and it has less to do with needing to stay in touch with every single person, but just mm. kind of making sure that do you feel seen and supported in your life right now? Is there a hole? Is there something missing? And what is that thing missing? Is it, is it an experience? Is it a certain topic? Is it just feeling safe enough to go a little bit deeper and, and kind of like, what can you do to kind of stretch those relationships a little bit more to practice a little more consistency to to kind of give opportunity for increased vulnerability to to express that positivity more and um we all have the opportunity to come through this closer to people i i will say from my own experience 
I have a group of girlfriends and we've been friends for 20 years and we all live in different States here in the mm-hmm. United States. And so we only see, but we, we see each other every year. We get together for a long weekend somewhere and we talk all weekend long. We, and there's, <laughs> I, I would, I would have told you before pandemic that these were like some of my best friends, the highest level of vulnerability. And we've been consistent in that it's been so many years, but we don't, we did, we weren't talking or getting together that frequently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during this pandemic, uh, we've done zoom. Uh, we get on zoom every Sunday at four 30 and we have done Marco Polo, which is like a video chatting app. Mm. And so now we are Marco Poloing each other almost on the daily and talking <laughs> for an hour and a half every week. And I'm shocked myself at how much closer we are because I would have told you I was already so close to them. Mm. But now what we're doing is we're actually going through experiences together as opposed mm. to getting together next year and talking about what we went through. Yeah. Like we were vulnerable in sharing everything and updating each other, but now we're actually doing it in real time with each other. And um, so this pandemic can deepen friendships. It can help us take relationships that were built on an activity and actually give us, force us to do more conversation and to share our lives more with each other. It's helping. I've had, I had a man tell me the other day that finally this is helping his friendships because his friendships were so centered around doing an activity together. Mm-hmm. And he said, now, if we're going to actually stay friends, we have to kind of get on this video call and it's kind <laughs> of like awkward. But we're now we're learning to talk about our lives and update each other. He goes, I think that at the end of this, we're going to have a skill set that's going to deepen our friendships for us when we do get back together to playing golf and poker and stuff. So it's giving us a chance, the excuse, I guess I would say, this is giving us an excuse to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Use it to your advantage. You know, this yeah. is giving us an excuse to be more vulnerable because it's it's like there's less shame in the fact that we're all struggling with certain yeah. things and this fear. So use that to your advantage and your friendship's advantages right now. Like we all need these three things and it's hard to change a habit. It's awkward to try something new, but this is the chance to do it. You know, we can come out of this feeling more connected. Uh, so I guess I would just want to really invite everybody listening to pause and to just don't say I'll wait till this is all over and figure it out and see who's still around like (laughs) use this opportunity to say what can I do right now to actually reach out and to get the support I need and to feel seen and witnessed and and we can roll our eyes and say I'm zoomed out or I'm tired of this but the truth of the matter is you're way better interacting even if it's not ideal and even if you'd rather do it in person I get that and you're still going to feel closer to each other if you put this pattern in place um, and and stay connected during this time. So, so yeah. And if you only have energy for one or two, that's fine. But just pick who you – be intentional, I guess, is the bottom line. <laughs> we can do this. And the question is, I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel supported. I want you to come through this, not just now, but at the end of this. And when we all are having these ramifications, I want you to feel really seen in safe and satisfying ways. And that won't just happen to you. That's not something that somebody Mm -hmm. can give you. That's something that you develop. That's something that you choose to foster in your life. And, um, and yeah, and to reiterate what you were saying, Katie, I mean, this is the most important thing for your happiness. It is virtually impossible to be happy if you don't feel connected. It is almost impossible to be healthy, uh, mental health and physical health. If you don't feel supported and loved, the stress that puts on your system is so tangible. So really one of the most powerful things you can be doing for yourself right now is reaching out to people. I love it. Thank you so much. It's so uh, your books are amazing. I, I just love talking to you. It's so powerful and so such an important topic. It was such an important topic before, but it's, as you say, even more important now. So thank you so much for taking all this time to speak to me. 
Oh, you are so welcome. And thank you for this beautiful conversation you're putting into this world and for these these moments and these connections and, and for your own honesty and your own willingness to grow and to ask amazing questions and to share your own stories. It was really a joy. Oh, thank you. And uh, have a lovely day in crisp, lovely California. And um, <laughs> we will hopefully stay in touch and speak again. Wonderful. And sleep well tonight. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Take care. Thanks, Shasta. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.